0: welcome to spooky south coast tim weisberg here along with my special in studio guest co-host this week john brightman how are you john
1: i'm doing very well tim
0: and i wanted to have you in this week uh because we were going back and forth earlier this week about some of the goings on in the television world Uh, we've got uh we've got a heavy focus lately on the bridgewater triangle yes Very heavy focus. But I don't think people know all the the behind-the-scenes stuff that's been going on. So just before we go forward, you haven't signed any non-disclosure agreements on anything, have you? Nope. Me either. Nope. So that means we can talk about it all. Everything. Uh, So what happened is, for anybody that hadn't heard the news, there was an announcement made this week that the uh, FX network was going to be producing a, a new fictional Mm-hmm. series about the Bridgewater Triangle, and it's going to be, uh, I guess, executive producer created by Noah Hawley, who is the force, the creative force behind the Fargo TV series mm-hmm. and behind the Legion TV series. And I don't I don't know how it came about. I haven't seen any interviews or, or any formal um, real description of what the show is, except for just, you know, the basic one-sheet info uh, when they made the announcement. I know that it's supposed to be a show that centers on a fictional show that centers on um, some siblings that live in the Triangle, and apparently the, you know, the world is going crazy. There's all kinds of paranormal phenomena. It's up to the three of them to try to like solve it all or, or or battle it all or what have you. Um, I don't know whether it was Noah Hawley's idea or if somebody else pitched it and they just. Well, had him go on to it or what?
1: I can tell you this much that I know. Back before Aaron decided to make, Aaron Cato decided to make the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, I had been in talks with the Discovery Network mm-hmm. and also FX. They wanted to actually cover a real, not so much a documentary, but a real investigating show and, and base it around real history that had happened. So I'm wondering if with talking with them and then just kind of getting pushed aside then Aaron did his own documentary and we all know that it got bought and, and aired on Destination America by Discovery. I wonder if that's when FX saw the ratings, saw how good it was, seen the other TV shows that have been out and are gonna be coming out about the Bridgewater Triangle and then decided, hey, let's do our own thing now, finally.
0: It could be, or it could be that Noah Hawley saw all that stuff going on. Or them, yes. And said, I could, you know, I could come up with some stories based on this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially because, you know, the X-Files formula uh, was a a pretty good storytelling device where you could have an overarching storyline, but then you could also have individual episodes that don't really have a lot to do with the overall storyline. So, And the Bridgewater Triangle would fit into that because you can have stories that are about like the, what is going on here, the big picture stuff, but you can also have individual episodes Mm -hmm. that could be those monster of the week type things. Uh, the, the question that I have when it comes to this is if they're going to produce this, where is the information going to come from? From
1: what I read, there is somebody and I, and I forgot the gentleman's name. I think its first name is Steven or Steve. He supposedly has a book or wrote a book about the Bridgewater Triangle. That's a fictional book, and mm-hmm. that's what they're basing it off is his writing. From that's from what I read. If I if I'm correct. Well,
0: listen, no, no offense toward the guy, but that'd be a lousy game plan. Because why would you base it off something that is fictional when there's so much good true stuff that you could? I totally use agree. As, you know that would be. You know, if you have a show about doctors. Uh, You know, ER had doctors on its staff Mm -hmm. to help consult with for factual medical scenarios. Uh, Any police shows, they always have people who are former police officers who will serve as consultants on that show. So if your consultant for this show is going to be somebody that wrote a bunch of fictional stories, you know, that doesn't really help you to be able to put out a show that could have a lot more entertainment value if it was, quote unquote, based on a true story. I know I agree. And, and, you know,
1: it's funny because I talked to Aaron about that because I've actually reached out to Noah and FX myself and wanted to be a consultant with it, not do anything on screen, just be kind of like in a production assistant role, an on-screen consultant um, or a behind-the-scenes consultant, Mm -hmm. I should say. You know, because there's so many things that you, Chris Bonzano, even Aaron... Um, could lend to this project and get specifics right. And that's what they should do. And and they can make the fictional story kind of to keep it interesting, but almost like X-Files. They talked about UFOs. Well, we can talk about you. They, you know, this show can talk about the
0: UFO on Route 24 or down by the dog track. And it doesn't have to be that that is what the episode is about. It can just be that as you're having the um, storyline happen, then so let's just say it's a story about a ufo that lands in easton mm-hmm. and when they're talking about that then they can throw in the reference of you know the this Route 24 happened 24 sighting or something uh, or or the fact that you know going back to the 1600s there have been ufo's sightings there uh, i mean i guess the problem is part of the problem is with this is the paranormal world uh and starting with people like Chris Balzano, Chris Pittman, mm-hmm. starting all the way back then with them in the early 2000s, going up through Aaron and Manny making the documentary, we kind of screwed ourselves a little bit here because we put all the information out there yep. that they need to have to be able to do this show in that manner. Absolutely. So it's a different story if you're looking for a reality TV show where people are going to go out and actually investigate the triangle. You know, that you need fresh people for. Yes. But if you wanted to have a show where, first of all, it's fictional and you don't have to follow anything anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm looking at some of the other shows that, that FX has put out, uh, it's not like they worry about having factual things. Mm-hmm. Because if they were worried about factual realities behind some of their fictional shows, yep. would Jax Teller have worn white sneakers yes, riding exactly. a motorcycle? Exactly. You know, like you. all you need is one biker it, consultant on that show who would have said... Get that guy out of those stupid sneakers. Yep. And so, you know, that literally became the reason why I couldn't watch that show. (laughs) I was like, even if he like never dragged his feet on his bike, which I guess if you're, you know, a pretty experienced biker, you never have to do. Still shifting, brakes. They would just get dirty. Yep. And they were never dirty. They were always bright white. And who wants to see a biker in sneakers anyway? Like, if you're looking for a biker character, they're always wearing, you know, motorcycle boots. boots. Yep. Yep. But anyway. Uh, there was a lot of little things that bothered me about that show that I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> Both, you know, from actually driving one, but also knowing motorcycle gangs. Yep. Like, uh, you know, the, there was stuff in there that, and they're like, well, we don't care because people are watching it and the story's good. The little the little things they just didn't care about. So that's kind of the, um, I think that's kind of the approach that they're taking mm. is, <laughs> is that, uh, <laughs> right back at you, baby. gazelle in the newsroom window Uh, he's uh, blowing me kisses so the uh, the idea of having to have a factual basis for it I don't think is you know high on their list Mm. but if it is like I said I think we screwed ourselves by putting all that history out there so they can just crib it any way they want and now Aaron can say well you know they've, they've got that information directly from our documentary but There's no recourse for that because now it's kind of out there, you know, not in the public domain, but it's out there in the public space. So those stories have been told and now they can be shared. And so they can base the story off of that if they want to, because it's not something that Aaron created or Manny created. It's something that they were just documenting. So that's where I worry a little bit. um, I worry a little bit about. You know, the fact that they don't really need to bring anybody on board. Plus, they might say, like, no, we don't care. Like, this is just going to be a bunch of stories that we're going to tell. Uh, but that's not the only... And we'll talk more about that with Aaron Cadju. He's going to call in probably in about 15, 20 minutes or so. And we're just going to kind of get his thoughts a little bit. We're also going to talk to him about some of the stuff that he has going on with the Highway Murders documentary. But uh, just going back to...
1: By the way... Yes. Your voice was amazing for that documentary.
0: For which? The
1: Highway Murders.
0: The one line that I have?
1: No, you've had, you had more than that. I thought I heard you once or twice through that, or maybe three times. In
0: his trailer? Oh no, 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 no. No.
1: I've seen the actual footage.
0: I I think I only gave one line. Really? I, so, uh, you know, a little bit of a spoiler alert. I play the jury foreman in the, uh, No, there's, in the there's like two
1: different sections that I hear you in there. Maybe. I,
0: yeah. I think, yeah, maybe I gave a couple different lines. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I haven't watched the parts that I'm in yet. Oh. Uh, so aaron keeps giving me the, the well we shouldn't really say that he's letting us see it but yeah you know I, I he gives me like little clips of it and and i i just haven't heard my voice yet but <laughs> i'll probably cringe when i hear it uh former news director taylor cormier i believe lent his voice as well oh really so he's now part of the howie carr show nice so he's a he's way more famous now than he was when he recorded that but it's just, and uh by the way if anybody out there likes true crime i know you're a, a fan of the mm-hmm. the genre And uh, I'm sure you followed the Bulger story Mm -hmm. of the story of the Brothers Bulger. There's a new podcast out called Dirty Rats, and it's produced by the Howie Carr Show people. And it's Howie Carr's research and all of his documentation about the Bulgers. Uh, Now, he's been the guy that's been covering them since day one, whether it be working at the Boston Herald or writing his books or on his radio show. So it's the show is Howie writes it and Grace produces it. Mm And Taylor Cormier, who uh, people have heard on Spooky South mm-hmm. Coast, we've had him on numerous times, he is the narrator for the show, for the podcast. No kidding. So I believe they have three episodes out already. Uh, so if you look it up wherever you get your podcast, Dirty Rats is the name of the podcast. It's uh, kind of like a when you're looking for the graphic, it's like red and black lettering with some, some rat silhouettes in front of it. Uh, download that, check it out, listen to it, but if you can help them out, give them a review. The more five-star reviews that they can have posted, the, the more it'll help them get seen. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the way that we were when we were starting doing this show. We were fighting amongst a bunch of other paranormal shows and, pa- and podcasts. Maybe not when we first started. When we first started, there wasn't a lot of this stuff out mm-hmm. there. Uh, there was uh, maybe two or three shows that were actually on the radio outside of Coast to Coast AM. And there was maybe five or six podcasts. But it's exploded in oh, that yeah. time. But now it's also kind of waned a bit, too. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a little bit less competition now for the paranormal radio ear, especially for people that are absorbing the show a- in the form of a podcast that's only posted once a week because you can listen to five or six or seven shows in a week. Yep. So it's not as, um, it's not as uh, much of a battle to get people to download these shows as it used to be. But with true crime, there's so many true crime pro- yeah. podcasts now. That uh, if you want to actually find an audience, you know, you're doing battle against a lot of great, great podcasts, but you just have to get the word out there about yourself. So hopefully people will download Dirty Rats, check it out, and give them a five-star review so that that can help them. And it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be across all platforms, although it's nice if you can. But just wherever you listen to the podcast, whether it's Stitcher, whether it's iTunes, you know, give it a little bit of a review. Uh, So maybe we can get Howie to come on a spooky I to south coast and
1: talk about it that definitely sounds interesting
0: i wanted to i wanted to check it out for myself this week because i've been doing so much driving for restaurant week but i couldn't get my phone to connect to the to the station oh, van's audio system so i'm like eh, well i'm just gonna wait so i can listen to it uh but anyway dirty rats is the name of that podcast but so where was i going before that i was talking about um the 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 need to fictionalize Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of this. Oh, I was talking about the Highway Murders. Highway Murders. uh, Which would also make a good podcast. But Aaron was just on the Highway Car Show, too, last week, talking about that. Anyway, so with the fictionalized version of the Bridgewater Triangle Show, that's going to put a lot of people who had never heard of it suddenly become knowledgeable about it. The documentary made a lot of inroads Mm -hmm. in... Informing people about the Bridgewater Triangle, but it's still a niche audience. Absolutely. It's still not reaching mainstream America as much as it will with a television series on FX. A show on FX is going to make a big difference in terms of making the Bridgewater Triangle a household name, and there'll be a ripple effect. So obviously that show coming out is going to increase, you know, Aaron and Manny's Mm -hmm. documentaries profile. Uh, anything that we've ever done triangle related, all the spooky South coast triangle episodes, people are going to search Bridgewater triangle podcast and find our annual Bridgewater triangle show that we do every year, as well as all the other ones that we've done. Uh, So it will, there'll be a trickle down effect for everybody, but where we're starting to see the explosion and interest in this already is in the reality TV genre. Uh, As you said, they took the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. They made some edits and cuts, not Aaron and Manny, but mm-hmm. the uh Destination America did, and they they re-aired that. They aired that on television as America's Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. That was which is call. still the worst title that I've ever yeah. heard in my life. Uh the <laughs> And I don't work for Destination America anymore. I can say that you dropped the ball big time with that. What a stupid title. Yeah. America's Bermuda Triangle. Why? Like well, why it would made you made no sense? That'd be like saying like you know, America's English Muffins. <laughs> but anyway, uh Thomas says they're America's English muffins. But the um the documentary did kind of kick off some interest. We we heard of other shows popping up, mm-hmm. other other pitches, we should say, for shows popping up. Some of them actually got to the point where they were filming what's called sizzle reels, mm-hmm. which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a couple minutes worth of footage that they showed to potential networks to get them to say, okay, we'll fund, and they may, they may only say, we'll fund a full-out pilot. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you make a 44-minute episode with some of the money they give you. Uh, or they may say, you know, we'll, we'll put this straight to series and you can film eight episodes or 10 episodes or 22 episodes or what have you. So the, um, somebody's asking, uh, the, when does the movie come out? If it, you're talking about the Bridgewater triangle documentary that came out in 2014,
1: I think it was 14.
0: And so it's already available on, um, Amazon, Amazon, prime. Amazon prime. And if you want to order the DVD or the Blu-ray, just go to, it's the Bridgewater triangle and you can order your own version of it, but Amazon Prime's the easiest way yep. to see it. You can watch it right after Spooky South Coast if you want, and um, the it's free if you have Prime. But if you don't have Prime, you can still order it yep. uh, for streaming. For streaming, but we saw some shows start to get pitched and get to some of them got to the sizzle reel uh, state, and I, I think I can talk about it now. But um, I filmed a, a sizzle reel with Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm where the idea was that Chris Jericho was going to lead a team of investigators into the Bridgewater Triangle. And where this show concept failed, in my eyes, from from what little I know about it and from what little I saw about it, is the team that they had, that Chris Jericho put, quote-unquote, put together or, or joined forces with to investigate, was not from the Triangle. They're not from this area. They had never been to the Bridgewater Triangle before. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've seen a lot of these... Investigative show ideas uh, come about is that they're they're pulling people that they're like, well, we like this team because we think that they'll be good on television, but we also like this idea of the Bridgewater Triangle, so we're going to take that team and put them in the triangle
1: when they know nothing about it,
0: and it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and maybe you feel like the people who have been in the triangle investigating it for years. And uh, all you need to do is just look at the guest list for Spooky South Coast and you'll know who those people are. But maybe they're saying, okay, these people wouldn't be that good on TV. Or they're saying these people have been overexposed in yep. telling the Triangle story because they were in the documentary and because any other you know hour-long special on the Bridgewater Triangle has focused uh, on some of these voices. Maybe some of that is part of it. And yes, Chris Jericho, the wrestler. Yep yep you can a lot of people don't know that he
1: is a huge like paranormal and mm-hmm. ufo guy
0: his his big thing is sea monsters he's oh, really? uh he's he's long been a, a research an interest highly interest level in sea monsters um but yeah no he has a very strong interest in the paranormal yep and uh if you go back and listen to his uh talk is jericho podcast in some of the early days he had a lot of paranormal guests he had jeff Belanger on he had amy bruni on he had dave schrader on and um he started his own podcast network and he actually had Dave and Tim's beyond the darkness show. That's how it started was they were on podcast one with him and then they were on the Jericho network. Uh, so he's been tied into the paranormal world for, for quite a long time. Uh, and you know, the way that I saw it is if Chris Jericho couldn't get a show picked up mm. on the Bridgewater triangle, it's going to be harder for anybody else to do it. Yep. Uh, because he, he lent a lot of name recognition, but that's the, that's the problem is there they're trying to to shoehorn people into this uh, that they really need to worry about the people that have a strong knowledge base. Yes. Here's here's the thing that bothers me. I don't want carpetbagger paranormal investigators coming from you know Missouri to come invest, investigate what's been going on in my backyard and not talk to the people that have been investigating. It's one thing if you want to say we want this team to come and investigate this phenomenon. But
1: bring in the locals that can tell the history and the stories. Correct.
0: I don't want to see them like, I don't want a shot of them being on the mass crossroads website (laughs) and being like, this website says this. Like, I want to see them like interviewing Chris Balzano. Chris Balzano says, well, some of the information that I gathered, some of the information people have told me, or some of the things that I've experienced firsthand, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's the big difference. So, I don't want to see the triangle become a plot device in a show because the triangle should be the main character in a show. Yes, I agree. It shouldn't be, let's see if we can just, you know, put A into B and see what happens. Uh, It has to be about the triangle. And speaking about it being about the triangle, uh, let's bring on, if I can make sure I set everything up right because I don't want to screw up. Putting him out over the Red Sox game, because Aaron Cadju is a Red Sox fan. Oh, no. And he would be very upset if uh, if I put him over the Red Sox game. Aaron, are you with us? Okay, I think I have to put this one up. Aaron, can you hear us now? Yes, I can. Can okay. you hear me? I can. I'm
2: up in kind of a remote area in New Hampshire, so I hope you guys, I don't lose you
0: guys. You're supposed to say you're lost in the middle of the Bridgewater Triangle.
2: I, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm lost in the middle of the Bridgewater Triangle.
0: You definitely sound very far away.
2: Am I on the air right
0: now? You are on the air Oh, hello everybody <laughs> I've got you I've got you peaked up But you still sound Very, very far away Uh That's better uh, Yeah, there you go Is that better? That is, is better there, we, I think we can work with this
2: Okay
0: uh, So we were um, We were just talking about The fact that uh, You know Since the documentary came out And that was 2014 Was it?
2: 2013 13. October 20th, 2013
0: uh, You would think I would remember that Since I was there no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but since that's happened, we've seen this increased amount of interest in trying to put out uh, different television series about the Bridgewater Triangle. Now, this one being the, the FX announcement being the first fictional one, but I'm sure that you have had contact with, and I know that we have, with, um, with all kinds of uh, reality TV shows that have been trying to produce triangle-related from, uh, programming.
2: It happens like a handful of times a year, and you know the rumor spreads like wildfire. And in the vast majority of the cases, nothing ends up. It kind of dies on the vine. Um, the only the only ones that I know of were the when the sky the sky TV people came from the UK that ended up actually getting produced. And it was that one episode of Monsters and Mysteries in America that did like an episode about the Triangle. And that got produced, but for the most part, the vast majority of these things never come to fruition. Um, yeah. So this time around, uh, with the, the cachet behind this and the uh, the fact that FX released a press release about it, it looks like this one's actually going to happen.
0: Yeah, and that's what's interesting about this is, as I was saying to John beforehand, I think part of the, the failure in some of these other TV projects to get going is that they've tried to take... Um, people from outside the triangle and shoehorn them into the triangle. So it's like, we like this team and we like this phenomena and we're going to try to make it work together. And so that has kind of been trying to control the narrative too much of the triangle in a reality TV format. But now by just going straight up fiction, they really can control the narrative because you don't have to deal with any of those elements.
2: No, you, they could just make up whatever story they want. And that, I guess that's kind of the beauty of it. I mean, they're, they're setting it in probably one of the most well-known paranormal hotspots in the world but they have the luxury of just creating their own story now they may borrow certain elements but they have artistic license now because it's fictional to do whatever they want
0: we were talking uh, about earlier in the show you know John had mentioned that he had reached out and kind of offered his services as a consultant but we were actually talking about how we may have screwed ourselves in that regard because uh, why would they need it? First of all, they don't need a consultant anyway, because it's fictional. They could totally make everything up if they wanted. But even if they wanted to have some authenticity to it, uh, between the documentary and this radio show and everything else that's been done that's triangle related, we've kind of put it all out there. So we've given them all the framework they need to build a successful TV series uh, plot line.
2: Well, the interesting thing is I don't know who the author is that wrote this short story that this series is based off of i know i've only seen the name i haven't been able to find out anything yep. about of where he's from who he is i don't know the details of his story but it would be interesting to see where he drew his inspiration from did he do his own research on the triangle or is he borrowing from all of the books that have already been written been written and you know are there any elements from the documentary that he may have incorporated into his um into his book
1: it, it it'd also be interesting to find out if he just Maybe read some of these things and then just made up a complete fictional story right from the get-go in his own book and didn't really include anything that is truth in it, that he's read in any of the other books. Just used it as a reference for him to make up his story.
2: Yeah, it, it would be really interesting to know what's in the pages of that book and what the you know they gave a very very brief synopsis of what the idea is but you know the guts of it we have no idea like what part of the triangle does to take place and what are the phenomena that the people are seeing in the story and those you know that's all going to remain a mystery until this thing finally comes out i guess
0: well one of the things that i remember about the i always say that we've only hung up on one guest on spooky south coast uh that being uh the guy who pretended to be jesus and uh <laughs> i remember that no it's okay really? you hung up on him yes yes we hung up on jesus because he pitched himself to coming on the show as the reincarnated jesus and just everything that he said was very unjesusy like uh the world was going to end and you could join him in the new the new uh civilization but you had to pay him like x amount of money and i'm like eh, the real jesus wouldn't be using you know the apocalypse as a way to make cash but whatever uh so i always say he's the first person that we ever hang hung up on. But I do remember there was a guest and and God help me if I can remember his name, but he had written a book about, I believe it was about the Hockamock Swamp. And it was, um, it was just, he came on and started sharing a bunch of stuff that we just knew was wrong. And we started calling him out on it. And when we started calling him out on it, uh, mysteriously, the phone disconnected. Oh.
2: Was that that guy? Was his name Trey something?
0: I don't know. I don't think so. That doesn't sound right. No. But uh, I can no, I can right try I, I can try and look it up earlier, uh, later. But it was just some of the stuff that he was saying. I was just like, eh, no, that's not true. No, no, that's not right either. And um, I think things became a little contentious. He dropped off, uh, and I think he called back in, and I believe uh, again. I, I've tried to wipe it from my memory, so uh, if I have the details <laughs> wrong, I apologize. But I think uh, he called back in and tried to act like it was just something like random that happened, and I think we called him out on whether or not he hung up on us. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, we never really had to deal... That was the first instance of an outsider coming in and trying to you know, crib the triangle for themselves and crib the Hockamock Swamp for themselves... Uh, That's not something that we've seen. This is going to be the first time, Aaron, that, you know, well, you know what? Let me take a step back because I'm going to ask you about your experiences a little bit um, with Destination America and the way that they reshaped the documentary. That was probably maybe the first time that an outsider was controlling the narrative a little bit, even though you had Mm -hmm. given them all the all the tools they needed to work with, they were the ones that were kind of reshaping things. And so I know that you didn't really have a lot of say in how they did it, but what was it like working with somebody from outside this area who, who doesn't live and breathe this, this phenomena, the stories of this phenomena, what was it like to kind of see somebody else's approach to the triangle story?
2: Well, that was the most terrifying aspect of the whole process. I mean, when Discovery first comes knocking, you're very excited, but then you find out very quickly that they're pretty regimented in how they do their programming. So they were saying, you know, we only want to broadcast hour, which as people that are in the business know is only 42 minutes of content when you add in commercial time. So then we were like, oh, my God, you know, they're going to have to cut this movie in half. I mean, we had a 90-minute feature, so they really did cut it in half. And, you know, you sign the contract, and they have full artistic license and – creative control to cut out what they want and rearrange and cut and paste. And, you know, we had uh, John Horrigan as our narrator, but, you know, they could there's no way that they could rewrap his narration into a 42-minute format. So we knew they were going to have to bring in their own narrator, which they would write the copy for. So that whole aspect was terrifying. And, you know, that was probably the most nerve-wracking part of it. We didn't see what they had done. Like, we were supposed to see what they had done, like, a couple months in advance. But just like anything else, everything's delayed. I mean, we signed the contract with Discovery in August of 2014. The movie didn't make its premiere on Discovery, on Destination America, until September of 2015. So they actually, it was a four-year deal, and they burned away a whole year before they finally aired the thing. And we didn't see it until, God, it was like three or four nights before it actually made its premiere. So even if there was anything we didn't like, it was was the 11th hour. It was going to be very difficult to change anything. Right. But, to be honest, we were very pleasantly surprised with what they did. They really didn't – they didn't really alter the soul of our documentary. They really were – they kept it pretty much intact and did their best to keep the best stuff and um, didn't reinvent the wheel. They kind of just – you know, it was just basically an abbreviated version of what we had done. We, we were pretty pleased with what they did. Right. We I really mean – a lot of complaints, but it was terrifying.
0: In the way that they did it, I mean – they, You tried to present something that was very balanced and, and, and that covered all the different types of phenomena that happen. also covered the true true crime aspect, and tried to not take a stand on what you think about the stories that people tell, whether they're true or not. And it just seemed like what they did is they basically said, no, 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 we're making a paranormal documentary, so we're going to take the paranormal stuff. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to make sure that it has a paranormal resonance to it. Uh, which, you know, I, I, I guess is... As you said, you know it's it's not the worst thing that could have happened in terms of it. But now, with putting this fictional story together, what worries me the most about this is that not only can they, uh, you know, completely keep any kind of balance out of it, they they're not going to want any kind of balance they're not going to want to have to explain away any of this phenomena. They're going to want everything to be scary and mm-hmm. and real and ghosts and demons and aliens and bigfoot and all that stuff because that's what's going to drive the narrative of of a of a fictional storyline.
1: And that's what's also going to drive viewership.
0: Right. Nobody wants to see people, you know, in a, in a fictional show hmm. debunking phenomena. They mm-hmm. want to see no, people yeah. scared out yeah. of their minds.
2: Yeah, it's going to be full on pedal to the metal. You know, this is all happening. This all—none of this can be disputed. This is—this is—you know—there's evil forces at work or whatever. Whereas what we did was try to take more of an even, even-handed approach to it and not really kind of steer, try to steer the viewer one way or the other. Um, what, one thing—if you just going back real quick to what they decided to keep and what they decided to cut—the one thing that Discovery cut that I thought was the worst decision was the interview with Chris Balzano with the light shut off in the Freetown state forest. Mm-hmm. I was shocked that they did not keep that in the movie. Mm-hmm. And their reasoning for not keeping it in, I think was because they couldn't, they couldn't like, in order to show that scene, you have to show it in its full context with the story of the wampum belt and the disappearance of the wampum belt, you know, and then the get into like when the light shut off during Chris's interview and the light, we put the lights back on and Chris kind of jokes, as if he's, like, trying to talk to a ghost and says, you know, that whole, that whole thing, if you watch the movie. I think Discovery just felt they didn't have enough time to cram that in. But I, of the entire film, and I, you know, I'm a huge skeptic. I, it takes a lot to convince me of any of this stuff. And that is still, to this day, the closest thing I have ever had to a, a paranormal occurrence in my life. And I just, I was like, that that incident is something that a lot of these, like, ghost hunting shows would kill for something like that to happen.
1: Oh, absolutely. And
2: a lot of these these shows have to fabricate something like that. I mean, when we when people have seen that movie, they ask us, they're like, did you guys fake that? You guys know me. I'm not going to fake anything. And no. And I tell them, I said, nope. no, that genuinely happened. That's how it happened, whether it was coincidence or, you know, could be explained as a different matter entirely. But that incident is exactly how it happened. No, I, and, uh, I. I want to put it out there. Put
0: it out. I, I would say I want to put it out there that you actually think that most of us are crazy. You know, you,
2: you, <laughs> like, it's true. He does.
0: Yeah, like you, you, you don't want to uh, present things in a paranormal way. You're, you're not. You're, you're not a true believer. Uh, I'm not a
2: par- and I, I'm not a paranormal investigator. I'm not a paranormal researcher.
0: So yeah, you know, you would have uh, no reason to. And it's not like the documentary hinges on that moment either.
2: No. No, it was just a really cool moment that I just like of everything they decided to cut. I was like, I was shocked that they decided to cut that out.
0: So, you know, I I think that, you know, we'll we'll see some pretty um, exaggerated storylines. But, you know, there's there's enough real history there uh, for them to work on. I just I just worry if whoever this person is, that's feeding them the story and whoever is going to be the ones that start putting together the stories for the episodes. Uh, which, from what I understand, I believe Noah holley does a lot of the writing himself. But yes. how, you know, how much of of the actual history are they going to bring into it? And we could be wrong. We could be pleasantly surprised, and this could turn out to be like just a hyper fictionalized version of all the stories that we've been talking about for years.
2: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that whole thing shakes out. I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say I was very excited. And it's funny because it's not usually my genre, but you know, I'll be one of the first people tuning in to see. I mean, the whole. I think the whole state. And the whole region's gonna be tuned in to see what that's all about. And, and it'll be a fun ride regardless of how what direction it takes.
0: And it'll certainly, you know, lead to a, a boost for you guys in sales of the documentary and uh and and
2: selfishly of course.
0: Right. And it'll and increase
2: watching oh sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
0: I was gonna say it'll also keep increasing the interest in, in the area. So I mean think about how many people are going to uh, uh you, you know see this show and be like well it's, it's a real story it's a real thing we have to go there that's where we're going for our summer vacation let's go we're gonna go run around the forest tonight yeah we're gonna start trademarking all kinds of like tours and, and vacation destination experiences I, I got first dibs on that you know that Well, oh, just because you have first dibs doesn't mean you have all dibs <laughs> just keep that in mind sorry aaron you were gonna say if
2: this, no if this show actually happens Which is still an F. Even if it's a marginal success, you will see an uptick in tourism, Mm -hmm. in curiosity, and selfishly, I think that we'll see a boost in the numbers of the people that are finding their way to the documentary. Absolutely. And you guys might see boosts in in the book set you guys have all written. You know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. You could see an increased amount of traffic on that stuff as well, easily.
0: So, and then one other thing that is going to see a boost is all of these, uh, you know, reality TV shows, uh, which, you know, John and I are going to get into uh, a little bit later on. We're going to talk about some of these shows that have been pitched, but like you said, you know, not all of these shows, the the reality quote unquote reality shows that have been pitched are going to make it to air. Uh, just like there's the possibility, Aaron, that this fictional show might not make it to air. They're just saying it's a proposed series, but I would think that bringing on Noah Hawley, uh, Putting out the press release and all of this stuff, mm-hmm. like I, I think it's almost a surefire thing that this is going to at least get produced. Whether or not it's a, a one-season show or if it, it actually goes on and, and has a, a life is a different story, but I think we'll actually see this hit the TV screen at some point. Uh, they What did they say, 2020 or 2021? 2020.
1: I, I actually don't know if they gave a date. I thought yeah, I saw 2020. 2020.
0: Well, Maybe. I mean, that'd, that'd be, be a pretty, a pretty, pretty quick, quick turnaround. turnaround. Yeah. They'd have to have...
2: I, I had done was, um, you know, the news hit, and it's been going crazy and getting shared. And, you know, I thought, you know, it would be nice if they were going to shoot it here just because it would boost the local economy. It would create mm-hmm. some jobs for people. So I contacted the uh, Mass Film Office. And I said to them, I got some a secretary. She was very nice. And I said, hey, you know, I was the co-producer on this documentary that we did in 2013 on the Bridgewater Triangle. Did you guys hear about this FX series that's in the works. And the Mass Film Office hadn't heard the news yet. I don't know how, because it was it had already been almost a week at that point. Right. And make a long story short, I said to them, I, look, they haven't announced where this is being shot yet. It still could be up for debate on where this is going to be shot. I said, the state should already be in contact with FX and trying to come up with some sort of an incentive deal to get them to shoot this thing locally. And it would I just think it would be a lot of fun. And, you know, they could... Maybe get some people that are into the Bridgewater Triangle, like little cameo roles and whatnot. Like you know, get like, get Lauren Coleman to be like a bartender in a scene or something like that. I think that would be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, because um, there's going to be a Lauren Coleman character, no doubt. <laughs> so to have yeah. the real Lauren Coleman like interact with him in like a Stanley cameo. Yep.
2: Yeah, it, but, just, it would be it would be it would be a shame if it got shot in like Vancouver, Canada. You know, that's probably what would happen. But it's just it's too bad.
0: I mean, it would be a lot of fun. If or shot Atlanta, it. Georgia. If they need uh, a—yeah, but you know, whenever they need to film Massachusetts, it's Vancouver. Yeah. Like, uh, all the X-Files episodes that took place—well, in everything for X-Files was shot in Vancouver, really, for the most part. Well, a lot of it, and then they moved it to L.A., and then it got really expensive, and then I think they went back to Vancouver. Uh, But the—you know, if they ever need somebody to play, like, a a cryptid creature, a monster, a Bigfoot, you know, John Brightman would be perfect. (laughs) absolutely
2: (laughs) no doubt about it
0: the um the other thing we want to talk to you about too aaron while we have you in in the last couple minutes before we let you get back out there into the woods was uh you recently released some some vlogs related to the highway murders documentary as you're nearing completion on that you're actually looking for the public's help in, in in finding a few uh few remaining pieces of the puzzle
2: yeah there have been some things that we've come across along the way that are kind of like nagging mysteries that as we got closer to the finish line we thought, you know, we'd throw a hail mary, and, and you know, I think vlogs tend to get a little bit more attention than blogs. Right. So we, just, I just kind of quickly threw together a couple of vlogs, two episodes, and maybe I'll do a third one on a different topic relating to the to the Highway Murders. But I mean, I don't know if you want me to get into specifically what the vlogs were, or you know, just direct people to the vlogs. But hey, it's um, up
0: to you. You're the one that's out there in the woods. If you want to take a few minutes to explain it, we'd love to have you do it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so the first one was pertaining to um, during the highway murders. So they, you know, just to summarize, there were 11 women that went missing between April and September of 88. And then they found the remains of nine on the highways leading in and on New Bedford. It still continued fi- they didn't find the ninth body until April of 89, almost a, a whole year later. And the eighth body that was found was a woman named Mary Rose Santos, who was a 26-year-old woman from New Bedford. She had disappeared in mid-July of 88, and her remains were found on March 31st, 1989. And her remains were found down on Route 88 in Westport on the southbound side, pretty far down. And the weird thing was with her was right as soon as her body was found, District Attorney Ronald Pena does an impromptu press conference on the side of the highway. And then he comes out with this story that two weeks before her body was found, his office had received an anonymous letter from somebody saying, if you ever find a body on Route 88, Westport, I'll come forward and give you more information pertaining to this case. And two weeks later, these two kids playing in the woods just happened to find this body on 88. So then Ron Pina is like, oh, we we got this letter two weeks ago, and now we got this body on 88. So he makes the announcement to the press. He's like, I really would like to talk to this person who wrote me this letter. Please come forward and identify yourself. And a couple days later, this letter writer allegedly identified himself to the district attorney and but after that point in time that the the letter writer allegedly came forward Ronald Tina then refused to answer any questions from the press pertaining to the letter or the letter writer and to this day we've talked to hundreds of people connected to this case nobody that we've talked to unless they're lying says that they know anything about this letter I mean we interviewed Bob St. Jean who was Ronald Pena's closest advisor and his chief investigator out of the CPAC unit. And Bob St. Jean claims he never saw the letter. He claims he never met the letter writer. And Ronald Pena shared everything with Bob St. Jean. So <laughs> this letter to this day remains a mystery. I mean, I can't for the life of me, if this letter existed, we're not even 100% sure that it did. If there was a letter and somebody had predicted that a body was going to be found i mean at that point in time keep in mind there were um seven bodies found three up on 140 near the chase road exit in freetown the other four near the Reed road exit in dharma so there were two clusters how could somebody at that point have predicted that a body was going to be found on route 88 unless they saw something or knew the person that was responsible mm-hmm. and it's it's just letter thing i mean it was pretty big news at the time but then it kind of just died and then nobody ever really mentioned it again after a while, because Ronald Pina wouldn't, you know, the press would kind of hammer him on the letter and he stopped answering questions. So eventually they stopped asking. And I just, I, I can't believe the letter just had kind of fallen by the wayside. And, you know, Ronald Pina had a special grand jury impaneled for a year and a half to hear testimony in the highway murders case, trying to come up with a viable suspect or a defendant. And the letter, as far as we know, never made its way in front of the grand jury. The letter writer was not forced to testify to the grand jury. It's just, it's like a maddening mystery, the letter. It really, really bothered us, and so we thought maybe by putting it out there in a vlog, maybe we would get somebody from the general public to come forward, but, you know, that was a few weeks back now, and or a couple of weeks, and nothing.
0: And now the first one. Now, the, 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 <laughs> the issue is, uh, I mean, for those who have been asking, I know that it's popped up a lot uh, on social media. I wrote a story about it for WBSM.com, and people were commenting underneath it. Uh, Ronald Pina is alive, but you guys weren't able to, to actually interview him for the documentary.
2: No, uh we we've gotten the information that he's not in in good health. Um and is not probably in a situation where he could be interviewed. Right. And so it's really unfortunate because I mean, he's such a he's such a key figure in this whole thing. Um uh, and it's really too bad that he's not in a position that he can he can speak on the record.
0: Yeah, the the problem being is uh they're not sure that everything that he says would be a factual recollection. Mhm. Of of what took yeah, place,
2: his, his, yeah, his, his, yeah I, don't, I gotta be careful with what I say right no I understand air, I understand yeah I, he might not be in a position to to speak with certain accuracy on on certain things.
0: But in talking with Bob Saint Jean and with other people, you know that are are were very very close to the investigation. You know, Pina was the only one that had any of this information. So, um, I, I would think that the only maybe the only people that would be able to come forward and help you out would be the the person who wrote the letter.
2: And you know, if you read some of the articles from back then, it was really weird because the letter writer, in at least one of the articles, said the letter writer had information pertaining to some of the missing women, as if to suggest that the letter writer had information about some of these other girls as well. So at that point, you're like, was the letter writer the killer himself, and did he not ever really come forward? Was that just a way for the district attorney to put the whole letter thing to bed? And they didn't, maybe they didn't want to publicly come out with the fact that the letter was written by the killer himself because it was actually the second time in that case where Ronald Pena referenced a tip that was received that led to a, the discovery of a body. It had happened earlier in the case, and it was a very, very underreported aspect of it where in December of 88 – now, this is before the Route 88 situation – they found the remains of Rochelle Clifford in a gravel pit in Dartmouth. She was the sixth victim found. And when her body was found, it was by two guys hunting in the woods. And after her body was found, Ronald Pina uh, told the Standard Times and the Boston Herald that they, at, the, at that point in the investigation, they had a telephone hotline set up where they were taking tips from the general public. Somebody had called that hotline and suggested searching in the gravel pit off a of Reed Road for bodies. And before the police could even go in there and search with the dogs, Those two hunters found that body by by accident, stumbled across that body, and that that alleged tip made very little waves. And we kind of found in our research, and we were like, wait a minute, somebody called and suggested searching in that spot, and then they found a body there. And it was shocking that this alleged tip with the gravel pit didn't make news. And and what's interesting about that is. Let's say the gravel pit tipster was the killer. Now, we we don't know if it was, but let's say that it was. It kind of makes sense at that point because Rochelle Clifford was the only victim not found on a highway. And if the killer was keeping track of the bodies being found at that point and was getting any kind of a a rise out of it, he might have said, well, if I don't tip them off about the one in the gravel pit, they're never going to find it because it's not on a highway.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And the same thing could be said about Mary Rosantos down on eighty-eight. Because at that point the bodies had been found in two primary clusters, not anywhere close to that, and he might have thought, "Well, if I don't tip them off about the one down on eighty-eight, then if we're going to find it, it's like it, it's it's really it's really weird with those two things." But uh, you know, I can go on and on forever about this case. So, uh,
0: well, my, I mean, you know, but, my fear is that when you know when this documentary hits and the, the general public watches it, they're gonna they're gonna start likening some of the the law enforcement on this case uh, to the parents of a, a, an abducted in plain sight. You know, like, how could you not realize what was going on? Like, somebody's sending you letters. This, this this, is the killer trying to say, but, you know, it's all hindsight for us to be able to look at it and say, <clears throat> excuse me, how do they not figure that out when, you know, when you're in the midst of this, when you're in the throes of this and they're finding more and more bodies, you know, it's it's something that they've never dealt with before and it's something that they probably weren't equipped to deal with.
2: Well, and the other thing, the other thing that would throw a wrench into the theory that either of those tips would have come from the killer is, why didn't the killer tip off the police about the two remains that haven't been found, set of remains that remain missing to this day? Like, if he's tipping off the police about two bodies that he didn't think they were going to find, why not tip them off about the other
1: two when they still weren't found?
2: You know what I mean? That's the big question. If it was the killer well, in either it, of those instances, to, to, um, you know, that's, that's something that we, you know, we don't have an answer to. to.
1: To answer that, there could be a couple different theories. A, he could be locked up and not be able to tip, or he could be deceased by now who knows or he could be in a different country and just trying to forget about it so he doesn't get caught either so there could be different different reasons why he hasn't reached out anymore either too well
2: the interesting thing though is that 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 only would that makes sense to a degree but we're talking about two women that disappeared during the same time as the rest of the women Mm. so it's it's like well if they disappeared during that same four and a half month time period why wouldn't he have tipped off the police about the other two sets you know, but it's, you know, who knows? Who knows? It's uh, it, it's just, you know, the two, the, the gravel pit tip and then the Route 88 letter are two aspects of this case that are really bizarre.
1: And who knows if even those tips came from the same person, too?
2: Well, and the, my only problem is it's like you're getting, you get two tips that both end up being yep. right. Yep. No, <laughs> no, absolutely.
1: You know, absolutely.
2: Um, it, it's, the, you know, I don't know how many tips they were getting how many locations were being suggested to them. Maybe it was just because they were getting so many tips that it was just bound to be that a couple of them would end up being right. Mm-hmm. But those are the only two tips that were publicly addressed. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's just, um, it's, a, it's just a head scratcher, I guess.
1: Now, when are you, when are you planning on having this documentary all said and done? And when do you think we'll be able to see it as fans watching it?
2: Well, we are, as of right now, unless, unless whoever, whoever picks this up decides to change things, it's a five-part series, with each episode being you know almost 90 minutes. Um, we're pretty much done with parts one through four, and we're working on part five. Now, I, we hate to put hard dates and restrictions on ourselves in, in, that, in that way, but we're hoping that maybe by the end of this year, we have this in front of potential takers. Now, where it goes from there... Who knows what network it would wind up on or if it's a streaming service. We don't know. But um, And then who knows how long it'll take to actually make it onto a streaming service or on the air between the time that an entity picks it up and then the finished product is out. Because I'm sure there'd be things they want to change, little tweaks they want to make here and there. So I, it would be very hard for me to put a timeline on it. But we'd like to have it in front of takers by the end of this year.
0: I mean, but- I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, and, and again, this is just my own selfish Desire, like I'm not, I'm not suggesting that this ha- is where it's going to go in any way. But my own selfish desire is to see Netflix pick it up, because my understanding is that for the most part, in dealing with Netflix, is they let the filmmaker and their work stand. So they really wouldn't be making a lot of tweaks to something that you were presenting before them. If they liked it, if they bought it, they would believe in, you know, letting the filmmaker's voice be the one to shine through. So. You know that would be that'd be my preference to see it because at least you know that they would. You know, Ted Sarandos isn't going to be standing over your shoulder telling you to do this or do that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, it's. I mean, we would. You know, Netflix comes knocking, we'd be more than excited about that. Or if HBO came knocking, or any of these big entities, but. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really done the research to find out who makes the least amount of changes to the content that they acquire. But you know, if Netflix uh, lets the filmmakers flex their muscles a little bit and doesn't interfere too much with the finished product, you know, that would be that would be kind of nice. I just feel like you know, it's a story that is a very complex story, and I think it's it's best told by people that know the story really well. I think it would be hard for somebody from the outside to come in, take what we've done, and be able to. To, to rewrap it or to make too many changes without completely messing it up, but that's just my personal opinion. No, I totally agree.
0: <laughs> and real quick, what was the second vlog about?
2: The second vlog was about the uh, special grand jury, which I had mentioned. Um, so the special grand jury was impaneled from uh, March of 1989 until uh, July uh, August of 1990. So they were impaneled for almost a year and a half. Um, special grand juries are a little different from regular grand juries. And special grand juries are usually used in instances of uh, investigating, like government corruption or organized crime. And they weren't in panel for the year and a half straight. They were—it was kind of like on and off. And I think they met like six different times. Right. Were, like you know, they'll just call you in there. when they need you. Yeah. So they heard testimony from dozens of witnesses. Um, they heard testimony from you know law enforcement. It was and it was all supposed to be secret. And this special grand jury is the same special grand jury that ended up indicting Kenneth Pont on the murder of Rochelle Clifford in August of 90. But, you know, we would love to hear from people that served on that special grand jury. Now, we, we got comment from one juror, and I'm not going to name him, but he had some very, very interesting things to say about that case. But there were 20-something grand jurors on that grand jury, and very few of them have ever been interviewed. I mean, there's a couple that are quoted in Maureen Boyle's book, with like one line here or one line there about their experience, but they don't give any details. And we would like to hear from somebody that was willing to talk about what actually occurred behind closed, closed doors during those grand jury sessions. So that's what the second vlog was, was just reaching out for, you know, people that were served on that special grand jury to come forward and maybe tell their story.
1: And other than that one person, nobody else has reached out to you guys?
2: Not to this point, nope. I mean, I, I know it's 30 years later, but there's no way that all 20-something of those grand jurors are dead. I mean, yeah. that would just be That's... ridiculous.
0: <laughs> but if somebody does um, want to reach out to you guys, uh, how can they do so?
2: They could do through, so through our website, highwaymurders.com. There's a um, there's a way to email us through our website there. Or they can call our hotline, which is uh, 508-505-INFO. 508-505-INFO.
0: So I will and tell you—sorry, go ahead
2: they can do so anonymously, you know, they don't have to go, they don't have to give their name or whatever, you know, we're just uh, interested in hearing from more people that served on that special grand jury.
0: I was talking this week with uh, Phil Paliologos, who hosts the morning show here on WBSM. Of course. Uh, and, uh, and he would love to have you come on his show and share the same information. He's, you know, the biggest listening audience on the South coast. So he would love to have you come on and, and share it with them because if, if there's people that are still around in this area, that can answer either the question of the letter, or may have served on the grand jury. Then those people are likely listening to Phil's show,
1: or somebody that knows them could be listening to Phil's show. So uh, he would yeah, love I to have
0: you come on. Too,
2: you know, it's, it's always been if you or somebody you know. So you know, we always extend it to you know second or third parties that might be able to help us as well, set something up for a meeting, whatever.
0: So I will. Uh, I will um, set something up with yeah, you and no, Phil.
2: I'm happy to come on a show at any time.
0: All right, sounds good. now And we will spread that word uh, as well here on Spooky South Coast, and, and see if we can get some some folks in there. Very excited to see the final product of this, because uh, as I said at the very beginning, when I first saw the the when I saw the first trailer um, that you had put out, you know, this is just as much not not so much just the story of the murders and what happened; it's also the story of the victims of their families. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that's always been lost, especially in the, you know, in the rise of the true crime genre now, where everybody loves all the salacious details and all the shows on headline news and, and all that stuff. They, they tend to forget the voice of the victims and, and those that they left behind. So, and I know from what I've seen that that's a very important part of telling the story. And I, I think that more than anything, uh, will be the lasting legacy of this.
2: Well, you know, that was always one of the main priorities of this thing was giving the families of these women a voice. And uh, we are lucky enough that we've had basically universal support from the families of all the victims uh, with this project. A lot of them have gone on the record. A lot of them are very appreciative and supportive. You know, it's like they thank us and it's like, please don't thank us. You know, this is a story that needs to be told. People need to hear this. And these women deserve a voice. And that's what we're trying to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, just keep us up to date with with uh with all of that no we will certainly have you come back on as as uh things get closer uh, with that as well
2: well thanks for having me guys it's been a crazy couple weeks here between the response to the vlogs and then uh i was actually on Howie Carr because of the because of the (laughs) vlog so it's with that between that and the news about the fx series and reporters calling about that it's been a crazy couple weeks but it's it's been very interesting and interesting and entertaining for sure so
0: yeah, um, yeah, you're. Thank
2: you very, very much for having me on.
0: You're pleasant. you're a multimedia man lately. You're on TV. You're on radio. You're all over the place.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. And then there's people that are. Hey, congratulations on the FX deal. It's like, look, we don't have anything to do with the <laughs> FX deal. Not yet. You know, anyway. we're happy to, to watch it happen. So. All right.
0: Well, take care. Stay safe out there in the woods, and we'll talk again soon.
2: Hey, have a good night, guys.
0: Take, take care. Take care. That is Aaron Kadju, the uh, co-director of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary and the man behind the highway murders. Uh, he's got a great team uh, for that documentary as well uh, that, um, you know, as I said, it's it's just as much about the victims, but it's just as much about telling this, the true story. See, Aaron doesn't get wrapped up in sensationalism. If Aaron was a guy that got wrapped up in sensationalism, the Bridgewater Triangle documentary would look very different. Mm-hmm. But for him, it's about laying out all the facts, laying out all the information. And when he does that, he's somebody that appreciates and realizes that the true story is just as amazing and as dramatic as the fictionalized version could be. Absolutely. So he doesn't need to sensationalize anything. You know,
1: watching him do the documentary and taking part in it like I had, like you did, and getting to know Aaron for a while, He's always said, he's, and he said it tonight, he's a skeptic, he's not a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why his documentary did so well too, because he didn't, and he's always said this too, but he didn't want to just shove evidence, video proof, audio proof down, down your throat. He wanted to put it out there and let you figure out what you want to believe. Just tell the facts and you take it from there on what you want to believe.
0: And by the way, that goes all the way back to the original Bridgewater yes. Triangle documentary inside the Bridgewater Triangle, which, uh, you know, in the old days when we started doing this show, I still remember how it came about. I remember, you know, Matt Koss and I were working together in a diner. Uh, we were in the planning stages of the show. So I was told in September of 2005 that we, we would be able to do this show on the radio. But we didn't launch it until the end of January in 2006 because we said we needed some time to decide what the show was going to be and to book some interviews ahead of time and mm-hmm. to come in and do a little bit of practice and things like that. So in that time, from September to, to January, we're trying to come up with these storylines and, and and topics that we want to cover on the show. And then we're like, it, we were more about topics, I think, back then than it was individual guests. It was more like, what are we, because we didn't really know the paranormal world. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, if we want to talk about demons, who do we get to talk about demons? If we want to talk about angels, who do we get to talk about angels? So it was more like story, uh, topic-driven than it was guest-driven then. And so we... We're trying to amass all the different things that we'd want to cover. And, and he said to me one day, he goes, what about the the Bridgewater Triangle? you ever heard of this? It's <laughs> like, no, I've never heard about it. And he, and he shows me Chris Pittman's website. And uh, we start going through it, and I was like, no, this is exactly the kind of stuff that we want to talk about on this show. Not only is it paranormal phenomena, but it's local. Mm-hmm. Because back then we had no idea people were going to listen to the show outside of the South Coast area. That's why, to this day, people still don't understand why it's called Spooky South Coast. They're like, where is the South Coast? I don't get it. So, but we were we were absolutely um, enamored with the idea of being able to present this to people. And, and so we reached out to, you know, I think it was Matt that found Aaron and said, hey, this guy's made a, a documentary about it. But it was just a student film, really, mm-hmm. when he was in college. And, uh, and he said, you know, not only will I come on to, to talk about it, but I will send you guys a copy of the, the DVD, so we, we saw the DVD, we watched it, and, and I think it was maybe kicking around for a year, of, you know a year into the show, we had been talking about it and, and referencing it again and again, that finally I said, we just, we got to get this out to people somehow. And so back then, it was Google Video, mm-hmm. which was the precursor to YouTube, and I uploaded, even though it was illegal, I uploaded inside the Bridgewater Triangle to Google Video, and it just caught fire. Like people were really, really interested in it. And I still have a disc copy of it somewhere, but Aaron's asked me not to put it back up there. Mm. Uh, but I still do have the original disc.
1: It's funny because I have, Aaron gave me an original copy of it because that's how I met Aaron. Mm-hmm. I saw the video when you posted it and I wanted to do a lecture about the Bridgewater Triangle and I wanted to do, use the sp- specific Freetown part of it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Uh, So I contacted Aaron and Aaron laughed at me. He he said, he says, who outside of the South Coast wants to know about the Bridgewater Triangle? And I'm like, I'm telling you, people want to know. And he just laughed about it and he gave me the disc. And lo and behold, we became great friends after that, talked all the time, and he couldn't believe the
0: response that people were actually paying attention to it. And I think, you know, with with the the Bridgewater Triangle, you know, he has a very strong knowledge base but i don't think he like <clears throat> took to part <coughs> sorry i don't mean to cough on the on the air i should put down my microphone that's what it's there for um and I, i'm out of practice but not only as he uh you know become somebody who is immersed in the topic that he's covering when it comes to the highway murders documentary he has an encyclopedic knowledge now of everything about that case and uh and and the passion that he has for the story has shined through. And I, I think like he didn't have that for a while with the Bridgewater Triangle. Yes, He let it kind of exist as being that film that he made in college. Mm-hmm. And he was happy to talk about it and answer questions about it. But then when he finally decided to, to make the feature length documentary, I think that's when it kind of reignited and, and re-sparked for him. Y-
1: you're right about that because, you know, like I said, with becoming friends the way I have with him, he'll call me sometimes at night you know, eight thirty, nine, ten 10 o'clock at night. And he'll, hey, I'm not going to take too much of your time, but hey, let me tell you what's going on with this. And let me get your opinion. And it'll be about the highway murders. Next thing you know, it's two and a half hours later mm-hmm. because he's just loving what he's doing and so wrapped up and involved in it. He's telling me everything now. And and it's really cool to see that he enjoys it that much and he takes
0: pride in what he's doing. So he came to, uh, we had the X-Filers Conference uh, in Rhode Island back in, I think it was March or April or mm-hmm. whatever, but in the spring. And um, he was supposed to come and show the the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, and things happened. Uh, there was stuff going on, a really bad storm that night, and uh, the audience wasn't really there when he arrived. There was probably about seven or eight people, and out of that seven or eight people, half of them had already seen the documentary. So we got him to uh, kind of... Show a little bit of a teaser on the highway murders Don't don't know if I should should say that But he showed a little bit of a teaser about that And Then he just stayed and talked about it You know, not not giving away inside info Not, you know, he's just Telling us all the facts of the case To the people that were not from New Bedford That had never heard of it and, uh, and yeah, no, he spent probably about four or five hours, like, talking with us about this. And so that's the the kind of passion that's behind that project. And when we're talking about things happening in the Bridgewater Triangle and people from this area, like, that's the passion that we have for mm-hmm. this. It's not the same if you're going to do a reality show and bring in people from, you know, uh, Montana or whatever and, like, okay, we're going to put this team in here.
1: They're just not going to have the passion that any of us do to to really want to be there and do it.
0: We don't know what it is. Is it's like we're paranormal investigators, and this is the next investigation, yep. which is fine. Yeah. And maybe you want that cold, calculated, detached approach in your investigators, but it's not what I would want to see as a TV viewer. I want to see people that it's their life's obsession. And when I interview with people, because okay, we'll we'll get into some of the uh, real inside stuff here about what's been going on for the since the documentary came out, really. There's probably, what, one or two a year at least, one or two production companies have reached out to us, whether it's to you or to me or to both of us or to, you know, to other people that are involved in the documentary these production companies reach out to us and they're like, "Well, we we have an idea for a show on the Bridgewater Triangle." Well, really, tell me yeah. something I haven't heard before.
1: Yeah, six six other times this year, I've heard the same thing. What's your story about?
0: Right, and it's it's something that's been ongoing, but it's yeah. really ramped up lately. Yeah, because Travel Channel is just throwing money at everything paranormal, and and Travel Channel's got
1: two, believe it
0: or not two shows this year
1: coming out about the bridgewater triangle that's the, I, the one that me and alan filmed with a bunch of other people where they came here and shot
0: which is like a one shot like documentary yep. uh, unto
1: itself yeah yep. it's going to be a one hour or hour and a half special mm-hmm. um from what i've been told but then there's another one called it's something it's a spinoff kind of like um mysterious america one of those th- shows like that right. that it's going to be like a 15 minute 20 minute segment we shot it up in canada the funniest part the funniest part is there was no infield research there was no nothing it was just green screen talking and they brought in some woman from North Dakota that's a medium that says she's clairvoyantly been to the Bridgewater Triangle This
0: is already the worst show I've ever heard of in my life Yeah Did they pay you to be on the show at least Yes they okay did. good Like
1: <laughs> <laughs> like like seriously like they brought in some woman from South Dakota that's going to be on the show
0: because she's been here clairvoyantly and, and as opposed to the thousands of people that have been here yes. physically and had experiences yes and that you know that's that's when you start to get into the realm of the ridiculous yep. uh, and that's why i said like it's important to have the voices of the people who are here yep. what's what's funny about that is it's they you know it's easier for them to fly you to canada than to send you know 12 canadians yes. here to film yep. so i kind of can understand some of that process
1: but still when i they they asked me do you know anybody that you'd want to recommend for this? And I gave them like 10 names and they all kind of just like, okay. And then I get there and who else did you get? Oh, we got this one other woman from South
0: North Dakota. I'm like, what? That's, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest. Sometimes I don't return even the phone calls from some of the people now because it's just, there's so many. Yeah. And so if you call me and you tell me that you're such and such and you're working on, a television show, well, I I have some questions. Mm -hmm. One of my first questions is, what production company are you from? One of my second questions is, is there already an agreement in place with a network for this? You know, because it's it's so many, they they don't even know. Like one production company doesn't even know that another production company is already working on a Bridgewater Triangle show. And I love to be the guy that tells them that. Uh, I'm the same way. You know, like, and then you kind of, it's like that episode of The Simpsons when, um, when Lisa tells Ralph Wiggum that she'll never be his girlfriend and like they freeze frame and they can see the moment that his heart breaks. Like you can hear that palpable. Like, Oh, there's another show. I'm going to get fired now because I didn't know that, but it's not that hard to, to find out, you know, just when you start talking to the right people, they'll tell you there's other shows uh, about it. But the, the part of the show's, the the part about the shows that always seems to be where it falls apart is they don't have a different angle on it no. than the documentary had and it's like you're I'll not repeat. going to because the documentary covered everything yeah so if you or at least all the different angles to the story so you can't try to reinvent the wheel when it comes to telling the triangle story there's no way to create or manufacture dramatic tension for a reality show yeah. Because it it just is what it is, and they, they hate the fact, you know, the, the 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 great line that Lauren Coleman delivers in the documentary, and is at the end of all the trailers for it, is he says, "I don't believe in the Bridgewater Triangle, I accept it," mm-hmm. and the production companies hate that. They hate the fact that we have accepted the Bridgewater Triangle because then there's no. There's no big dramatic, you know, basically they're looking for the investigators are the protagonists and the triangle is the antagonist. And that's what they're trying to manufacture. And it's like, you don't understand. We have to live here. So we have to have a level of acceptance Mm -hmm. with what goes on. We have to make our peace with the Bridgewater Triangle and we have to say like, okay, If I'm going to be a paranormal investigator and I'm going to live in this area, I just have to take into account that there's going to be some things that can't get explained. Like, there literally has to be a moment sometimes in investigations where we say, we don't really know. Triangle. Yeah. Just got to be the triangle. Yep. You know, and it happens more often than not. And they don't they don't like that because they think that these shows are going to now granted you don't want to solve the question because how will you have a series go on for season after season if if you do but they want to they need to have a, a a tunnel a light at the end of the tunnel that we're supposed to be trying to get to and they don't like it when we say it's, it's never going to stop yeah. you know like they uh, they'll say to me because they always ask me this question and I'm sure they ask you too well. Why do you think that the Bridgewater Triangle has so much activity going on in it? It's one of the
1: first things they always ask.
0: And I have to say to them every time, if I knew, you wouldn't want to do a TV show about it.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree with that.
0: Like, what's, what's what's the point of asking that question?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You want me to say that I'm going to be able to solve the mystery of the triangle? Like, you can put me on TV and have me say, my goal is to solve the mystery of the triangle, and that's fine, but understand, it's not it's, going it's to happen. It's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, we, we have a few ideas that we can toss around Theories, that might make for like that. interesting, dramatic storylines, but in the end, like, it's not the real story. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've talked to them, you know, the wampum belt comes up quite a bit as, a, as yep. a potential thing. I usually will recommend that. I'm like, well, one of the things that you can do is you can say, you know, that, one of the theories is that if the wampum belt is returned to the native American people, all of this phenomena will stop. So maybe that's the big bad of the show. Maybe we're trying to go out and find this wampum belt and return. it. And I always say though, but I'm not doing that storyline. I'm not. And by storyline, I don't mean like it's made up. Yeah. I just mean, I'm not going on that narrative journey unless you get the Wampanoag people to agree to be part of the show. Yep. And, and I know full well that when I say that, the Wampanoag people are not going to be part of this show. But the show. The, the show that me and Alan
1: just recently shot, they tried getting Kenny Alves and the rest of them involved. Uh, it,
0: now Kenny's a different story because he is he understands a little bit mm, uh, the value in sharing the information of his people with with, yes. with the public. But even him, he didn't want to do much. He right.
1: Didn't, and I don't blame him. I don't because so, their my, stuff's his. This stuff is so for them you know i'm trying to think of the word that i want to use but so it's protected
0: yeah i mean my point about kenny is like like he's a guy who will talk Mm -hmm. to the media but he's he's not going to talk to you about this stuff Mm -hmm. you know like that's the the thing about the wampanoags is they won't talk about their spiritual beliefs it's off limits Mm -hmm. um the legends around this are off limits Uh, I've told the story before, I don't know if I've told you this yet, John, but I gave a lecture in Plymouth uh, about presidential paranormal at the Plymouth Library last fall, or last winter, Last winter. I don't know, whenever I did it, but, and so I was talking about, you know, something that had nothing to do with the Wampanoag people, but a woman showed up, who, I prefer high tops, Lamone, but the, the, something popped up in the chat room, um, I, I, almost exclusively, I don't think I've ever worn low tops. Really? The, uh, yeah. Huh. Even, even like everything that I've ever had has always been, well, the only low tops I've ever worn were work shoes and I didn't like them. Right. Um, I'm a, I'm a old school Nike, you know, like air force ones, high tops. That's what I'm, that's what I like. But anyway, Jordan's, you know, like <laughs> that. anyway, um, at the end of this presentation, a woman comes up to me and tells me that, you know, she's from the Wampanoag tribe and Basically tells me to stop talking about their spiritual beliefs, and to stop talking about you know the the paranormal connections to them, and to stop talking about their spiritual side. And to, you know, she's like, "It's not your story to tell." And I said, "You know what? Like, I can appreciate that. Mm. Like, I understand where you're coming from. It's not my story to tell. But at the same time, if you're not telling that story, somebody has to be able to make those connections." Mm-hmm. So if I am going to share that information, I will try and be as best researched as I can. But if if you find that my research is failing, then, Please then come and me. talk to me. But I can't, I, I can't not share yeah. these connections if they're there. But I also don't want to do that to a national television audience if the tribe isn't on board with what it is that I'm doing.
1: That's why it's going to be interesting to see where he, um, Noah, and FX run with this because... We all know from the documentary and just from all of us talking and speaking on other shows and doing lectures, the Indian folklore and back history to this has a big part of the triangle, right? So are they, are they going to go down that road or are they going to leave it out?
0: Well, you can't leave it out. I don't think because you need to incorporate it because it's either the cause, Mm -hmm. which some people believe I don't personally uh or it is the effect Mm -hmm. one of the effects of it and i think that it's the most one of the most dramatic effects from it
1: i will agree with that i think it's more of the effect not the cause i think it is
0: because whatever happens first first of all there's some degree of supernatural element to even the start of king philip's war Mm -hmm. you know the fact that at least according to the legend uh king philip uh, was tr- Metacom was trying to decide if he wanted to go to war with the English over the death of his brother Wamsutta. Uh and he's trying to make this determination. He's going through an inner struggle because he knows that, you know, it's 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 going to be bloody. It's not going to be easily won. And uh, as he's trying to make this decision, according to the legend, he looks up at the sky, and right at that exact moment, there's a total lunar eclipse. And it was that total lunar eclipse that he saw as a sign to say this has to happen because basically he's seeing <clears throat> the light and the dark come together and clashing. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of giving him this, um, the, the, this basically saying like the two sides have to come together and whoever survives at the end is, is the victor. That's why I love like talking to you because i've never heard that
1: version before i've never heard no
0: it's 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 one of the first things that i found about it but i forget where i found it but uh it it makes it it puts it into a perspective that that makes a different kind of sense uh especially when you look at the way that the war was fought you know the the wampanoags from my understanding they went beyond what they would normally you know they didn't use the same tactics that the english expected them to use Mm -hmm. because the wampanoags were warring with other surrounding tribes and they were including the english in that war the english became savvy to a lot of their fighting style so they thought that they had the advantage on them Mm -hmm. uh, when it came time to the to, to go to battle against each other but in actuality the wampanoags had a completely different game plan than what they were expecting and so the story is that, you know, that was kind of part of this whole supernatural element to it is that they had, you know, the ancestors on their side telling them a different way to fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to get my next lecture. I'm going to get somebody coming up to me and talking to me for sharing this information. <laughs> but uh, which I believe my next lecture uh, is. Well, I'll be at the mass paracon, of yep. course, uh, which we'll talk about before the end of the show. But I think that. um locally i'm good for a little while so somebody might forget i know october 10th i'm in Tuxbury of the Tuxbury library i'm thinking that's far enough away yeah you uh,
1: probably won't get bothered out there
0: yeah but anyway the um the point is is that there's a strong connection to king Philip's war to the triangle but i don't think that it's what caused it i think that These supernatural elements into King Philip's War are proof that this has been an ongoing thing. You know, we talk about the Wampanoags not going into the Hockamock Swamp. Mm -hmm. Um, We talk about them not going to Fall River when you would think that that would be the perfect area for them to want to go because you're right on the Taunton River and there was forest and they could fish and they could hunt and all that stuff, but they wouldn't go into that area because they sensed that there was something bad there. Mm-hmm. So now we talk about this elemental thing that's at the Lizzie Borden house. Well, that makes sense because of what it's thing? all an area that nobody, that the, the natives wouldn't go into. Yep. So maybe, you know, it's something that has kind of existed all along and it's just a natural negativity. Yep. We, we like to say that there's, you know, a lot of positive force in the universe. And if that's true, there there should be a balance and there should be some, some negative. Some negative out there. Yep. And I think that the triangle is just indicative of that. It's just one area where, for whatever reason, and one of the reasons that we've heard over the years is the geological factor. The fact that uh, this area does have some different geological structure to it than the rest of the area, especially a very high amount of granite. So a high amount of quartz. Uh, And we're talking about not just the triangle itself, but all the way up into New Hampshire. and and, uh, So we're talking about an area where there's a lot of energy that can be trapped. Uh, But there can also be a lot of negativity that still hangs around, negative emotion that hangs around. Going back to the Puritan era, Mm -hmm. going back to the oppression of that, going back to... uh, you know, the Salem witch trials being part of this. Like all of this stuff is part of one big narrative that people don't think to put together. Look, I
1: think it was you or somebody, I forget who it is, but you know, the Bridgewater Triangle is not just triangle anymore. Right. It, it's, it's a much, much bigger area and it could legitimately spread up to New Hampshire. It could legit. it does
0: spread down into Rhode Island, into Tiverton, and Little Compton, Newport. Not only does it extend out to those areas, but it keeps growing. Yeah. Because it's not it's not a, a it's it's not a it's not a dormant thing. It's a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. And by being that, it's just gonna continue to grow. And the more that people start to say, Well, gee, there's a lot of stuff in our area. I wonder if we're part of the Bridgewater Triangle. Well, now you are. Yep. Because it's it, as you're piecing this stuff together and realizing that all this phenomena happens, then you—I mean, in the end, the whole world could be the, the Bridgewater Triangle.
1: Realistically, yeah.
0: If you're just looking at all of this stuff and how it's all connected, it's just this is an, a, a window area, a John Keel window area, where we can say this is a place where we see all this phenomena in a concentrated fashion. And it may be that we don't see it as concentrated in other places, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Uh, We do have a call on the line, 508-996-0500, if anyone would like to call in and share their own thoughts. Uh, But we will go to the phones right now. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey, what's shaking, playboy? Hey, Lamone, how you doing? Pretty good. So So did you see my
4: my text, my uh, message? I just
0: I, I did I did see that, yes. Uh
4: even no though answers, huh? <laughs> even though we're on YouTube
0: I still won't say that on the on the air.
4: <laughs> okay, no answers, okay. Uh but I, 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 your silence says a lot already.
0: There so, Yes.
4: Um so I've uh, seen the black and red pair. What about the, the mid trainers? You know, the cross trainers?
0: I've never, I've never tried. He's talking sneakers. Uh-huh. I've never tried. He, <laughs> John just has this. John, I don't think I've ever seen John in sneakers. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to work
4: fun. on that. Then we got to get. Oh,
0: know, even your sneakers look like boots. And it. Yeah. It's, and
4: so yeah, I just, I gather you did. You're not doing weak and weird.
0: Uh no. Uh Matt Matt uh, hasn't been producing one for a little while so uh you know is it's, he
4: okay yeah he, has anyone spoken with him
0: yeah he put a lot of work into them so i think uh i think it took up a lot of his time and we weren't always here doing a show um we weren't always able to present it so you know it's n- maybe not the best showcase for it anymore We'll we'll oh, figure it sad. out
4: hey it, it gave us something extra for the show i, I know like, but you know especially about the about about the cheese
0: the hip-hop cheese yep that was a good you know one about that yeah, the, the, the yeah. I mean, the, I it was we're, we're going through some weird times here at Spooky South Coast. <laughs> so,
4: well, especially after the uh, the L.A. Uh, Angels beat the beat the Red Fox tonight.
3: Oh, we haven't caught it, know, got it got, down oh, oh. here.
4: Yeah. So, so, um, I got and hey Matt, right there, uh, other Matt in the...
0: Nope, uh, no Matt's going. here. Just myself and John.
4: Oh, hey, Johnny. Hey, how are how you? How are you doing,
0: your... John? Doing? Oh, you, I don't think you, you haven't had the pleasure of talking to Lamone yet, No, have I have not. Lamone in Las I Vegas. He,
4: he, well, that's good. Then.
0: Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. Very nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lamone, living out there in Las Vegas, have you, outside of the show, had you heard of the Bridgewater Triangle? Yeah,
4: I have. I, but I, but I, I, know some people that lived out there, mm-hmm. and they came out here and they said, "Oh, we just need to get away from the triangle out there." I said, "What you talking about a triangle?" And I was like, "You know, I know about the, the, the uh, Great Lakes Triangle, and and of course the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Triangle mm-hmm. in the Chinese Sea." And then they was like, "And then tell me about that." I was like, "Oh, well, child." It's, and so that was, that was like I went to like maybe eighteen,
0: nineteen years ago. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's So that's
4: when that's, pr-
0: that's pretty much the before, early days of the the of the the, the rebirth of it. You, well, we appreciate that. So when you come out here, you'll get to you'll get to experience the Triangle for yourself.
4: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. See, he's always <laughs> trying to
0: get us to go to Vegas. Now we're going to try to get him to come out. See, here See, if I would have met him, I was just in Vegas two months ago. Oh, see? What
4: what were you doing here?
1: Uh, Comic-Con. That was there.
4: Oh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. was. I I came in a couple times. Did you go here? Were you here last year?
1: Nope. Uh, just, Just this year that just went by.
4: Okay, well, congratulations. Was it time to Vegas?
1: No, no, no. I've been to Vegas before. I love it there.
4: Well, maybe you come back
0: to visit.
1: And you'll have to you have to take me around and show me some some show me some haunted spots
0: out there. Lamone and John Brightman yeah. together in Las Vegas. This is if, this is going to be dangerous. The
4: only thing you want to find, see that haunted. I'll take you. <laughs> All if right. If there's anything else besides haunted, I'll take
1: you. Okay. I'll remember you know, that. I think I, I think said, Tim's gonna want me to record this though for for a future spooky um, yeah. South Coast
0: like show. This might might even be beyond paranormal.
4: It <laughs> might it, it might be might be scaranormal. normal <laughs> so, before you know about know, that like it could be worse. We could be visiting San Francisco.
1: That might that, that might that be might be a little bit of a drive.
0: <laughs> All right, yeah, well, exactly. We're we're gonna we're exactly. gonna say goodnight night for tonight. But thank you for uh, for checking in and uh, and definitely we will let you know if uh, if Brightman heads out there. We'll, we'll absolutely. We'll let you know. He's,
4: are you doing Are you doing Dave's show this week?
0: Uh, not this week. I think I have a couple spots coming up in September and a couple in October.
4: Yeah, because I was like mad last week. I was like, "Where's he at?" I'm like,
0: "O.J." Oh, no, and this. But, I couldn't have done this I'm past gonna, week anyway. With we were doing know, Restaurant I, Week here.
4: We know that everybody was thinking like you. Know, last week, you know, you were supposed to be gone again. I was like, oh,
0: that was cool. I try yeah, to go on anytime like they to, ask me. So
4: I like to say hey to the spooky coast clan that's listening out there and having fun. And I hope I hope you guys see like Colleen, Eileen. Where's Miss
0: Astnia? He's in there. I saw a few comments yeah. pop up.
4: Well, I'm glad he's popped up, and, Miss, and, and B Potter. I like Potter. I, I, you know, oh, <laughs> pot or uh, a. Okay, so.
0: <laughs> All right, okay. LeBron, we're gonna let you go. So, Have a great one night. Other
4: thing, oh, one other uh, thing. One other thing. I was talking to this girl. Yep. And and I was like, I was like, damn. I said, dang, baby, your breath smells like butterscotch. She said, what do you mean? I said, butt or scot. <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> 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 Have a great night, playboy. See you later. Take care, playboy. All right, I cut him off there. I always end up having to cut off Lamone, but that's okay. Uh, I've never met Lamone before. Oh, Lamone is great. So Lamone is a regular caller to Midnight in the Desert, and especially oh, really? the after show for Midnight in the Desert. And uh, we've been very lucky that a lot of the uh, the great folks that listen to that show have been tuning in on Saturday nights and coming and hanging out with us here. And uh, and so he started calling in as well. And um, I, I give him a much quicker trigger on Midnight in the Desert because I know Keith, you know, wants to keep the show moving and he doesn't yeah. like the stuff to get bogged down. But we, we always have a lot of fun when, when Lamone calls in. But he's also very infamous uh, for the fact that uh, he's got the world's most terrible cell phone.
1: Oh, really? But
0: apparently he has a new cell phone. But it sounds kind of a lot like the old cell phone to me. <laughs> we were all going to, like, take up a, a, a collection to buy him, like, a, a really nice phone, but... I mean, I have a really nice phone too, and my phone calls sound terrible. So they sound great to me, but apparently nobody yeah, can hear nobody me. But nobody can hear. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, I think that's kind of the problem with all phones these days. Maybe we just got to get him a Skype setup. That's all. Then yeah, he can, that could be dangerous,
1: though. Then he can host his own show. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was going to say, then that's fine. But that could be dangerous if he starts Skyping in the but spooky Southwest. We
0: also have a gentleman who calls in. You might have been here for one of his calls. Uh, his nickname has become uh, Mr. Massachusetts. That's what the chat room yep. has dubbed him. Uh, he's the guy that claims to have won uh like ten billion dollars from Publishers Clearinghouse. I have not heard about oh, this yeah, guy. Oh yeah, but the government hasn't the government stepped in and took there was, the no, like there was like rogue homeland security agents that have like stolen from him and like I don't know, there's a the whole convoluted thing uh, behind it, but um, basically every week that he calls the week coming up should be the week that he gets his payment. Oh really? And it's been going on for like almost two years, so it's, he's, it's like, he's getting like two billion and three and three cars. For like Publishers a, Clearinghouse? Yeah. Wow. It's weird. Well, I don't know. Like it was supposed to be Publishers Clearinghouse, but like now the government owes him money and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is actually like the most paranormal thing that we've ever done on the show is just taking his phone calls <laughs> and listening to the stories about all the things they're going on. and like they're going to give him cars like they're going to give him like a Lamborghini and like a fancy Mercedes and like also an Impala. Wow. Like how are you getting like a Lamborghini yeah. and a Mercedes and an Impala? An like yeah. Uh, I'm <laughs> just very very weird. So uh it's 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 one of those things where you almost say like I probably shouldn't take this call and like continue on this the path with this person but as i always say to people that question why i talk to him what if he's right you know what I'd if he, know. what if he really is going to get billions of dollars and everybody else on this station has shut him down and i'm his only friend <laughs> you, know, like, you know just, remember, when just ta- remember and he always says he's going to remember the fact that uh, that i talked to him and i gave him time so
1: hey if, if you end up with
0: Couple hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, nothing wrong with that. Even even if he just takes me out to lunch, that's all it <laughs> takes to, to win my affection. Uh, speaking of uh, of you know, taking me out to lunch and getting all my affection, take me out to lunch on the weekend of September 27th through the 29th because you can come out and hang out with me at the mass power con. Uh, Stephanie will be there as well, Porter will be there. It's a great lineup of people. Uh, and again, it's happening September 27th through the 29th. It is taking place in the Berkshires, out in western Massachusetts. So, if you have never been out there, it uh, is—it's about a four-hour trip, maybe maybe five hours from Boston. I know it's four hours from here.
1: Nah, it's only like four hours even from
0: Boston. So, well, I'm just trying to take traffic into account and all that. Uh-huh. But if you're flying in, yeah, you know, probably about four or four and a half hours from Boston. It's about four, four and a half from here. And I say four, four and a half because when you get to a certain place in the Berkshires, there's no more highway. Yes. Like you're all back roads. Yep. So it all depends on what the traffic situation is. But it's it's a nice ride. Oh, it's a beautiful ride. We've made that ride so many times going out to Venford Hall or going to the Houghton Mansion yeah. that... You know, by now it's second nature yep. to take this trip, and it, it certainly doesn't feel like four hours in the car. Uh, but also, it's a it's a quick jaunt from Albany too. So if you're coming from somewhere else and you want to fly into Albany and go that way, that's a that's also that's, a good. I good think good way from to go.
1: Albany, it's only going to be probably like three hours.
0: Yeah, um, and it might, might even be less. It might be. It might be. So the the picturesque setting of the Berkshires in September is like. You, the leaves by this point, by the end of September, the leaves are starting to turn. Uh, you are just yep. out there in the most beautiful part of of Massachusetts uh, to be in during that time of year. So, what's going to happen is we're going to have three great days of events, and some of the guests that will be there. Uh, as I said, I'll be there, Stephanie will be there, Porter will be there, uh, Jeff Belanger will be there, uh, John Tenney will. I can't remember the last time John Tenney was in Massachusetts for something. So, that's, all of you, that's
1: special in itself. Right,
0: all of you Tenney fans, you get to hang out with, not only with Tenney, but you get to hang out with all of us with Tenney, which is a whole different yep. experience. Uh, Andrea Perrin will be there. Uh, we also have uh, a lot of great New England people that will be featured as well. Uh, John Zaffis, of course, uh, will be there but you'll get to meet some folks that are from the area that you might not normally have uh, seen at some of these other conventions as well. So all you have to do is go to massparacon.com to get your tickets. There is a special deal going on though right now. Really? Uh first of all, we want to let everybody know like it's it as we say, it's 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 3 days of stuff. It's not like um Everybody's going to show up on Friday, and stuff isn't going to start till Saturday morning. Nope. Check-in is at 6 o'clock on Friday night at the Host Hotel, which is the Seven Hills Inn. There'll be a black carpet meet and greet in the banquet room. Uh, there'll also be there'll be lectures that start off uh, at 6.30, Roxy's Wicker. From 7.30 to 8.30, Jeff Belanger will be speaking. Uh, Colleen Costello will be doing a spirit gallery for VIP guests. and Then there's also going to be an investigation of The Mount, uh, which was Edith Wharton's home that's out there, uh, so you can go take part in that as well. Then the whole lecture series takes place on Saturday. Uh, All kinds of uh, great discussions that will be happening throughout the day on Saturday. And then Saturday night, there's going to be two different events that are going on. One is Honoring Lorraine Warren, which will be hosted by John Zaffis and Andrea Perrin. and For those who don't know, John Zaffis is Lorraine Warren's nephew, and Andrea Perrin is from The Conjuring House. She was the the family that lived through the conjuring case. She was the one that actually brought it to the public. And so they will have a a little special thing honoring Lorraine Warren. They'll also have an investigation and stargazing at the seven Hills Inn. And then the second option is if you don't want to do that investigation, you can join up with me and uh, Scott Porter and a few other folks as we will be at the Ventford hall gilded age museum. Now I've investigated Ventford hall before. It is an awesome place. If you've ever seen this film, "The Cider House Rules," mm-hmm. it was filmed there. It's um, it's really like a big, Gilded Age, home with like the giant doors that open up to the backyard, and uh, it's just it's it's really cool and it's very historical. So and pretty haunted. So I recommend you know, just selfishly. That you come hang come out with hang me at the investigation. You. But it doesn't matter because both of those are currently on sale. So if you uh, if you go to massparacon.com, you can get the special deal uh, to take part in those as well. And then, of course, there'll also be some stuff going on on, on Sunday as well. We always have the goodbye breakfast where we kind of get together and we talk about some of the stuff that's been going on. And then there's also going to be uh, some other things that are going on that are s- separate from the event itself. Uh, some folks are going to be taking the Berkshire Scenic Railway tour, which you can purchase the tickets. There's a link there on the Mass Paracon site to do so. I I, I
1: really want to do that. I'm going to suggest anybody that goes to get tickets needs to get their hotel like ASAP because that time of year gets so busy up there with people just going up to see sites, not even for the event. They're just booking all hotels around that time of year. So if you're going to go, you need to book your hotel quick because it will be sold out.
0: There's uh, there's a lot of, um, I, I forget the actual term that they call it, like for the people that are, you know, like if you like books or a bibliophile, yep. you
1: know, Foli- foliage, gazing. I concept. forget like what the what yeah. the
0: leaf peepers' actual name is, but there's a lot of leaf peepers, yes, that just go up there like every weekend in the fall. Yep. So you're, you're you know you're, you're kind of battling that, so you want to make sure that you get your rooms, but, again to hang out with this group of weirdos for an entire weekend I, i'm
1: kind of jealous and i'm going to be in florida that week because i i mean it's tinny
0: that's, that's i don't get part. to see john that often that's the best part about the weekend for me is i get i get to reconnect with little spoon <laughs> little spoon <laughs> so i you know i i was almost <laughs> tempted, i was almost tempted to tell sam well, you know we can be roommates <laughs> Uh, because we've we've done it before, and we enjoy each other's company. But uh, then we would never get any sleep for the yeah. whole weekend. So, uh, But again, massparacon.com. You should absolutely go and get your tickets now, because they're not going to last. Uh, the, the special deals, I think, are up after the end of this weekend. So you want to make sure that you get a hold of those. But the whole event is happening September 27th through the 29th. We've got people coming from all over the country to come and hang out with us. It would especially be great if just the local people here. Again, yep. it's only a four-hour drive. It won't feel like four hours. Uh, if you want, on the way home on Sunday, you can stop at the Golden Corral in Springfield because we don't have one of those here. It's so, about
1: the only time you get to have one. I've never been to a Golden Corral. I never have either.
0: My my, my dad said it's great, um, you know, but I, I don't know. I'm not going to drive to Springfield just to go yeah. out and have dinner. But, you know, two words, chocolate fountain. So... Yes. It's up to you if you want to stop there on the way home. And
1: but endless fries.
0: Well, you can get that at Red Robin.
1: Oh, no. They're good, though. Okay. They're no. good. From what I've heard, they are amazing.
0: If you want to check that out, just go to massparacon.com. I think Sam's going to join us next week to talk to us a little bit more about cool. some of the different things that are going on. He'll give us an update about what's what's sold out, what isn't sold out. Uh, I, I think it would be really, really cool to see as many of our listeners out there there and and people that are both locally and maybe from around here uh that could all come out and and hang out with us as well. So, I think that about does it for this week's show. Uh John, unless you have anything else that you want to want to add before we head back out into the triangle tonight? No. No, that's that's about it. All right. So, we're going to we're going to open the doors of the studio and leave and see whatever the triangle brings about our way. One of the questions that did pop up in the chat room during the show was when we're going to have the Bridgewater Triangle Investigation Show. Yes. Uh, Because we've been in a bit of a state of flux here with the show and with the way that things have been running. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when we can pull that together, but we will.
1: Let's shoot for the end of October.
0: Um, I know that I'm trying to put some things together for October with some events uh, because some people have reached out even though it's kind of late in the year, and we've reached out to some other people, too. But uh, we'll we'll see if we can try and get some... Because uh, I
1: definitely want to take part in it this year. I missed it last year because I was away. In and, and the first three weeks this year of, of October, I'm away.
0: We've been tinkering with the formula a little bit from, from the last few years, too. So now it's all Facebook Live and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff involved, so... That's why we got to put everything together and see how we can pull it off. So until next week, uh, if you want to get a hold of us at any point in time, Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com is the email. And uh, we will be back next week with another edition of the show. So until then, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for John, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.